0: Well, good morning again. You know, yeah, I'd be remiss as a pastor if I didn't mention um, a couple of words about what's happening in Europe right now. Um, this last Friday, um, some elders and some of the pastors from the eco-churches in Southern California, we gathered together for, to, to meet and pray and talk about um, how to instill hope in a world filled with despair. Um, especially in light of this war that's broken out. And as your pastor, my my primary word to us, to to all of us today, is to pray, Um, to pray for an end to hostilities, um, to pray for peace, to pray for those who've become widows, orphans, and widowers um, over this last week. Um, to pray for wisdom for government leaders, um, both in Russia and the Ukraine and around the world, and how best to respond. And to pray for the church, the church in Russia, the church in the Ukraine, the church around the world, for God's protection, for unity, for courage, for boldness. Um, and as I'm sure as the weeks unfold, there will be other ways for us to respond, um, but I think it all begins with prayer. And so would you join me as we pray um Lord, we do pray for an end to hostilities. We pray for peace. God, we pray for protection. We pray for wisdom for our world's leaders. And Father, we know that we live in a time when there will be wars and rumors of wars, when there will be hostilities that that's part of living in the fallen world that we live in, Lord. So we trust you. And we lift up those that are victimized by violence. The innocent, the suffering. Those who are grieving. Those who are afraid. And we ask you to do your work, your good work that only that you can do. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And um, I know that all of you probably hear that little buzzing happening. Um, no, it's not in your head. Um, it's real. I hear it too. Um, and so I apologize for that. And um, we'll uh, we'll do as best as we can with that happening in the background. You know, for Christmas this last year, my oldest son, Wes, um, who's 33 now, um, bought Cindy and I a grapevine for Christmas, Uh, a literal grapevine planted in a wooden planter that he had made. And so we brought it over when we exchanged gifts, and it it looked just like a stick sticking in this planter. Um, But since then, it's developed some branches and some leaves, and we're hoping that it will eventually produce some table grapes for us to eat. Well, today we're going to talk about how our relationship with God is like that grapevine. Today we finish our Epiphany series, Jesus Revealed. Um, Epiphany, as you know, because I've been telling you the last six weeks, is that season from the end of Christmas until the beginning of Lent. The word Epiphany means a surprising insight, an unexpected understanding of something. And the season of Epiphany is about being surprised by Jesus in unexpected ways. And so we've been going through these I am statements of Jesus in the Bible's book of John and discovering a lot of epiphanies about Jesus along the way. And today, the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany and the last Sunday in this series, we come to the final I am statement in the book of John from John chapter 15 when Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the vine. Before we dive into that I am statement, let me review the previous seven that we've talked about. Um, We started with Jesus' words in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. We saw that Jesus came into the world to satisfy some of our deepest hungers that we have, that that he satisfies those hungers even as food satisfies our physical hunger. That as bread from heaven, Jesus came into the world to give his life for the life of of the rest of the world. And Jesus nourishes us with his word and with the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to strengthen us spiritually. And then in chapter eight, our our parish associate, Andrea, looked at the second I am statement, I am the light of the world. And, And Andrea reminded us that Jesus brings light to the darkness of our world. Boy, that's a message we need to hear right now. That Jesus reveals the truth of God to us. And then we looked at Jesus' statement also in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. And this one's kind of different than the other ones that we've looked at. But I suggested that this third I am statement, also out of John 8, is actually the foundation for all the other ones. That when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, he was applying the title of God, I am, from um, Exodus chapter 3 to himself. This was as clear a claim to being God that Jesus could make. Then in chapter 10, we looked at the fourth I am statement, Jesus is the gate to the sheep pen. And as the gate, Jesus is the entry point to safety and security and the abundant life that God created us for. And then our own Caitlin Shan talked about Jesus as the good shepherd from John 10, who gave his life to make us his sheep. In chapter 11, we looked at the sixth I am statement, I am the resurrection And we saw that when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead in John 11, he showed himself to be the source of both physical bodily life in the resurrection and spiritual eternal life as well. And then finally last Sunday in John chapter 14, we saw Jesus as the way, the one who leads us through the wilderness and the barren desert of this world that we are in to our true home, to his father's house. And so today we come to the eighth and final I am statement, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, I am the vine. And like the other I am statements, this statement uses a metaphor, like bread and light and a gate and a shepherd. This one uses the metaphor of a vineyard. So let me talk a little bit about how the Bible describes vineyards. A vineyard is a farm that produces grapes. Let's start with the basics. In fact, the grapevine is the very first cultivated plant mentioned in the Bible, all the way back in Genesis chapter 9, when Noah planted a vineyard and harvested the grapes. Now, grapes were used for a lot of different things, to to, um, fresh fruit to eat juice to drink. Grapes can be dried and made into raisins. They can be made into vinegar. Grape seeds can be turned into oil. But by far, the most common use of grapes, both back then and today, is to make wine. That's what Noah did with his vineyard. Now, Cindy and I have some friends who own a vineyard in Temecula. And we've learned from them that taking care of a vineyard is a whole lot of work. In fact, uh, we met one farmer in uh, Central California one time who told us um, that as a farmer, the land hates you, that the farmer is in a constant battle with the land in order to grow and produce healthy crops. Now, in the Old Testament, the vineyard became a common symbol for God's people. We see this in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in many of the Psalms, picture the people of God as a grapevine or as a vineyard. When Jewish people entered the temple that Solomon built, as soon as they entered that temple, the very first thing they would see in the entryway was a huge gold grapevine as a symbol of the people of God. Eventually, Israel minted coins that had a grapevine on the back as a symbol. Of being God's people. So vineyards were far, farms that grow grapes that are mostly used to make wine, and the vineyard was a symbol for the people of God. And with that in mind, let's look at this final I Am statement of Jesus. In fact, if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, this is God's Word for us today. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You can be seated. When Jesus says he is the true vine, he implies that there are false vines out there. It's a bit like seeing the uh, Twitter handle that says the real before it, that that's to distinguish the real person from counterfeit Twitter accounts, impersonating that person. Jesus is the real vine amid many false vines. And the primary false vines of Jesus's day were within the leadership of the people of God themselves. Israel's leader had forgotten who the vineyard belonged to. And we're living as if it belonged to them. Now, in this vineyard, God the Father is the gardener. And the word gardener here refers both to the person who owns the vineyard and to the person who works the vineyard. Our our, our friends who own that vineyard in Temecula, their first couple of years, they didn't work the vineyard. They hired other people to do that. But then they decided they wanted to start working the vineyard themselves. And so they started working the farm themselves. Well, the word gardener refers to both. Both the person who owns the vineyard and the person who works the vineyard. The vineyard, God's people, belongs to the Father. He's the owner. But this owner gets his hands dirty, working the vines, clearing away unproductive branches, pruning productive branches. In verse 2, the word translated prune is a Greek word that means to make something clean. Pruning is a kind of cleansing. And you can see this play on words in verse 3, when in verse 2 it says prune, in verse 3 Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken. Same word in Greek, pruning is cleaning. And if Jesus is the true vine, and if the Father is the gardener, then you and I, as members of the people of God, are individual branches in this vineyard. And just as branches on a grapevine produce grapes, you and I were designed by God to produce something, to produce fruit. Healthy branches don't have to try to produce grapes. It's just what healthy branches naturally do. And if a branch is not producing fruit, it's because something unhealthy is going on within the branch that the gardener needs to address. So to be healthy, branches are cultivated, watered, pruned, cared for, all by the gardener. Jesus says that branches must remain in the vine if they are to produce the fruit that they were designed to produce. And that word, translated remain in verse 4, is a favorite word in John's writings. Uh, In fact, this word occurs more than 40 times just in the book of John. It means to abide. I love that Sean picked that hymn today, abide. It means to make yourself at home, to stay, to remain When we looked at Jesus as the bread of life in John chapter 6 verse 56, we saw that we remain or abide with Jesus and he abides with us when we celebrate the bread and the cup of communion. We remain with him. In John chapter 8, when we looked at the I am before Abraham... We saw in John 8:31 that when we abide in the teachings of Jesus, when we remain in his teachings, we show that we are truly his followers. And here in John 15 verses 1 through 8, we find this word remain or abide seven different times. It implies a mutuality between the vine and the branch. I love the way a fuller professor, Marianne May Thompson, puts it. She says, this word implies a receptivity. It's not passive, but entails an openness, a responsiveness to the presence of Jesus. I love that image, an openness and responsiveness to the presence of Jesus. That's what it means for a branch to abide or to remain in the vine, A branch that is severed from the vine is cut off from its ability to do what it was designed to do. A branch that is cut off from the vine withers because it has no source of life, no source of nourishment. And branches like that are only useful as fire, fuel for fire, because they're no longer living, they're no longer producing, they're no longer alive. But a branch that abides in the vine a branch that has been pruned and cultivated by the gardener, that branch will produce the kind of fruit it was designed to produce. So let's consider some epiphanies from this eighth and final I Am statement of Jesus in the book of John. Here's the first, and it relates to the gardener. The Father prunes us to be faithful, or to be fruitful. The Father prunes us to be fruitful. Pruning is counterintuitive. I have some rose bushes in my backyard, and every year our gardener prunes them back so much they look like just a stick in the ground. Why would you prune something that's already producing something? But every year our roses come in better and better. When our lives are fruitful as followers of Jesus, God prunes those parts of our lives back so they can become even more fruitful. Now, in the Bible, the fruit that we as followers of Jesus are called to produce is our own inward transformation to become more and more like Jesus. In our mission statement, we we call it this journey that we're on to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And a part of that is the transformation of our character with traits or virtues that the Bible calls the fruit of God's Spirit. Traits like love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These things only happen as the Father prunes us and cultivates these virtues so that they produce in our lives. According to the Bible, that another kind of fruit is inviting other people to become part of the vineyard. It's bringing other people to Jesus so their branch is grafted into the vine and they become part of the vineyard as well. Our, in our mission statement, we call this inviting people to join us in our journey of following Jesus. This is the kind of fruit our lives, as the people of God, were designed to produce. The kind of fruit we were made for, just as a grapevine was designed to produce grapes. For us to be fruitful, the gardener has to constantly clear away those parts of our lives that are unproductive and prune the parts that are productive. And pruning is painful. We can understand when God clears away the parts of our lives that are unproductive. But when he prunes the parts that are fruitful, it hurts. I remember going through this kind of pruning back in 2007, when I left pastoral ministry after being uh, more than 15 years at the same church. um, Week after week at that congregation, opening God's Word to those people. And it was hard and painful and I felt like the gardener had cut off an entire part of my life. Preaching was the one area of being a pastor that I felt like was the most fruitful and now it was gone. And I didn't preach at all anywhere for over a year and then only occasionally for about 11 years after that till I came to Glenkirk 3 years ago. And I'm now convinced that that pruning was a necessary part of my ministry for me to be with you over these last three years. God prunes what's fruitful so it can be even more fruitful. God always prunes our lives with love. It's painful at the time, but but his pruning is designed and motivated by a loving desire for our lives to fully function in a fruitful, flourishing way. You know, when my third son, TJ, was two years old, he had to be hospitalized for croup. And so I spent the night in the hospital with him. And at one point, they decided they needed to start an IV. And so the nurses asked me to hold him down while they started an IV. And so it was traumatic for everybody in the room as he's screaming and looking at me with eyes of betrayal, Dad, I trusted you. Why are you letting these people do this painful thing to me? And, of course, I can't explain to a two-year-old why having an IV is going to get him healthy and get him better so he can go home. And I think it's a bit like that with us when God is pruning us. It hurts. As the gardener, the Father prunes us to be even more fruitful. Here's a second epiphany. As the vine, Jesus sustains us with his own life. Jesus sustains us with his own life. We, we've seen this again and again in many of these I Am statements that are they're linked to life. Jesus is the bread of life who gives his life for the life of the world. Jesus is the gate that leads to life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we see that here as well. Jesus is the vine, the source of all the nutrients and nourishment we need to sustain our spiritual lives Unfortunately, even as Christians, we sometimes look to other sources of life apart from Jesus. There are just as many false vines out there today as there were in the time of Jesus. Some Christians look to their church to sustain their spiritual lives. We look to the people and the programs, to the pastors and the leaders to nourish and sustain our spiritual lives. And and don't get me wrong, I love the church. I work in the ministry of the church. But the church cannot do for you what only Jesus can do for you. The church will disappoint you, its leaders will let you down, its people will hurt you at times because Jesus is the source of life, not the church. A branch can't sustain another branch. Branches can only receive life from the vine. Sometimes we look to our jobs or to our families or to our politics to receive life. And again, nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves, but none of them were designed to do for us what only Jesus can do for us. And when we expect these things to do for us, what only Jesus can do for us, we turn them into idols, false gods, and idols will always let you down. Only Jesus is the source of our spiritual lives. One last epiphany relates to us as branches. We must decide to remain with Jesus. We must decide to remain With Jesus. Again, that word remain, stay, abide, describes mutuality, a reciprocity between the branches and the vine. And Jesus, in this passage, mentions two very practical ways that we can continue with Jesus and remain with Jesus. First is found in verse 3 and again in verse 7 when Jesus talks about his word. We remain with Jesus by letting his word, his teaching remain in us, be at home in us, abide in us. In fact, the teaching of Jesus is one way that God prunes us. As Jesus said in verse 3 that his word has made them clean, has pruned them. When we remain in his word and his word remains in us, we are abiding in the vine. The other practical way is encapsulated in verse 7 by the word ask ask whatever you wish. Asking is praying. Asking is seeking God's provision, God's direction. Asking is opening ourselves to God's voice, aligning ourselves with God's heart, paying attention to God's will and God's presence. I've been doing a lot of asking lately. And asking, prayer, is one way that we stay with Jesus. Our final I am statement In John reminds us that the Father is the gardener. Jesus is the true vine. And we are the branches. The Father prunes us. Jesus sustains us with his life. But it's our responsibility to stay, to remain, to abide. Now, some people like to speculate about whether this section of John teaches that a Christian can lose their salvation. If a branch doesn't produce anything, and if God removes that branch, and if that branch is burned in the fire, does that mean that an unfruitful Christian can lose their salvation if they're not producing fruit? But I think that's asking the wrong question. I think there's a better question to ask, but a harder question to ask. And it's this. What parts of our lives are unproductive branches? What aspects of our lives do we need God to clear away and burn away? And I think that's the perfect question for us as we enter the season of Lent on Wednesday. You see, Lent, which starts on Ash Wednesday next week, is a season of repentance. It's a season for clearing away the unproductive, barren branches in our lives. What does the Father want to clear away from your life this year? Maybe it's your addiction to the news. Maybe it's your tendency to judge people. Maybe it's your anger or an addiction or your fear. As we enter the season of Lent this next week, let's ask God To clear away the unproductive branches in our lives and to prune what's healthy so it can grow even more fruit to live the kind of lives that Jesus calls us to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this season and for these epiphanies that you have revealed God, all that we have learned in this series are things that we would never know about you if you had not revealed them. And so we end this series celebrating, Lord, rejoicing in new covenant partners joining us, celebrating your goodness and worship, celebrating your greatness, the greatness of Christ as the great I am as we prepare to enter a new season of repentance, a season of reflection, and a season of preparation. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.